Hi everyone, I'm Amy Newswinger. Thanks so much for joining us today. I work for Early Intervention Technical Assistance. Also, I'm the Central Regional Facilitator for the Positive Behavior Support Network in Pennsylvania. Today we're talking about rolling out program-wide positive behavior supports and early childhood programs. Joining me today is the amazing Gia Ostroff-Welsh and the amazing Murray Grudy and the equally amazing Jennifer Nepshield. And I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So Gia, if you wouldn't mind sharing who you are and what you do and how long you've worked with positive behavior supports. Certainly, Amy. I am a school psychologist in early childhood. I've been with the Bucks County Intermediate Unit for 22 years and have been working with the PBIS framework for about eight years. And I've been involved as a facilitator in helping about eight different programs get PBIS off the ground. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you. And Marie? Hi, I am the School Readiness Director with Child Development Inc. in Schuylkill County. We have been with PAPBIS for about 12 years. We started out in the very beginning stages with the IU29 when they received a grant. And then when the grant was finished, we continued to do it on our own. We started out with just one center. And then in our second year, we went into our six facilities. And since then, we've grown up to eight. So I am the facilitator for the program. We have seen a lot of growth since the beginning. Our eyes have certainly changed as to what it was and what it is. And we will continue. We just received fidelity at Tier 2, and we're striving to go on with Tier 3, too. So glad to be here today and talk to you about our experience. Excellent. And Jen Nepshield, could you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a program manager at Child Development. I'm in training with PBIS. I've been around it with Marie for 12 years, but getting a little bit deeper into it now. Excellent. So that's even more perfect that you hear as we're talking about rolling out PBIS and how that looks differently in different capacities. It's not just when you get started. It's also as it grows and develops to make sure the capacity is still there when Marie wins the lottery and moves to Hawaii. So Jen can continue <laughs> on this good work and, and it doesn't miss a beat. So as we build our understanding of this positive behavior support process over time, and you'll hear me use the word PBS, positive behavior support, PBIS, positive behavior interventions and supports. It's basically that intentional, systematic approach to supporting positive behaviors in a program. We know that this implementation is never once and done. And one of the visuals we like to reference is that story of the seven blind men and the elephant and that everyone's feeling a different part of the very large elephant. One blind man feels the tusk and says it's a spear. Another feels an ear and says it's a fan. Another feels the trunk and says it's a snake, right? And so depending on where you are in this very large process, you might think you are at a wall when you're really just at one part of the whole elephant. <laughs> so we wanted to talk to some of our really experienced facilitators to give the rest of Pennsylvania an idea of all the layers that this does take and not just the information of the layers, but the personal experiences that have gone with these layers. So we're going to talk first about whether you rolled it out to administration or how did administration roll it out to you? 
because that's really where it starts. If you're a successful program, which both of you are, your administration has full buying or it wouldn't be happening. So what did that look like? Marie, I'm going to start with you and Jen, jump in if you have anything to add. All right, Marie. So how did that work for you? Well, I remember many moons ago when the IU received notification of the grant and they contacted Marianne and asked if we would like to go into partnership with them on implementing the grant. And Marianne is the director Marianne, of the program. she's our director. Yes, Perfect. our executive director. And I remember her coming to me and giving the grant to me and I looked it over and I went back to her and I said, this is a lot of work. <laughs> And she said, yes, it is. <laughs> I said, this is a lot of work. <laughs> and she said, well, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand that our executive director, she's a very hands-on person when it comes to the staff. And she had heard years after year after year about the problem behaviors that we're experiencing in our, in our classrooms. And she's a firm believer that if we want Children to be successful, staff have to be successful. So she said, what's worth giving it a try to see if it works? So let's do it. So at that time, um, we were a program with six different locations. And I said, all right, I'll do it, but I'm only going to start with one. Because I figured with the immense amount of work in my eyes, <laughs> um, coupled with all the work that I already had, this was like another job. Yeah. But in order for it to be successful, we had a lot to do. So we started out with just one location at that time. But from the beginning, we had the, the administrative buy-in. Excellent. Excellent. Gia? So as I think about this, I can think of it from a couple of different perspectives because I've been an outside facilitator, so someone who's not from the system and also a facilitator from within the system. And I think that the administrator approach or how the administrator approaches it is really crucial and that buy-in from the administrator makes all the difference in the world. So having been in a number of different programs, I've certainly seen that the administrator makes a profound difference. So I'm thinking of the very first program that I started working with, which was Jolly Toddlers. Nancy Thompson is the administrator there. And she immediately wanted to, like Marie, we had a grant and she immediately wanted to partner with us. And she said, I've always wanted to do this. I just didn't know what it was called. So she always had this commitment to wanting to use a positive approach with her children, with her staff, but she didn't have the tools to do it. So PBIS came along and she was 100% committed to figuring out how to make this work within her center. And I think being an external person, it was really important to partner closely with her because she was the one who knew the players. She knew what the culture of her center was and being respectful of that and learning about that was really important in helping to develop that program. Yeah. And I really like having those two different perspectives, one within the program where the administrator said, we're doing this, let's figure it out one outside of the program where you're a guest exactly saying okay you said you wanted to do this mm -hmm. how can we make this work very much so so i'm just curious did you and i'm trying to remember when the commitment to fidelity form came out if that was after you both started this process or before I think that came out when the grants first came out, and that's when I was also first involved with this. 
Um, and I think that going through that document, and as Marie said, it really highlights all of the different components, and it is a lot of work. And I think reading that document, people sometimes become overwhelmed. One of the layers of support that I think Pennsylvania has done so beautifully with regard to PBIS is having an administrator's day. So they have mm -hmm. a day when the administrators can go and really learn about what PBIS is and what it means for their program to commit to using a PBIS approach. And I think that's been so, so helpful. So Marie, is that the form you read when you took it to Marion and yes. said, this is a lot of work? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Because obviously Gia and our audience can't see Marie's head bobbing in, <laughs> in significant agreement as Gia was describing how much work it is. And it's funny that you say that because my memory of the first time I saw the commitment to fidelity, because prior to me being an EITA consultant and being the central regional facilitator, I was just starting out with the three of you as well as a local facilitator mm -hmm. for my Head Start program. And my supervisor was the champion for the pyramid model and PBIS in our program. She had been working to be able to get enough traction within the rest of administration for us to have a leadership team and to get these goals going. But when I showed her this commitment to fidelity, she went, whoa, what do they want us to do? <laughs> And I had to, to really break it down for her and say, it's literally everything you're telling me you want me to do. So it's okay. They don't expect it tomorrow. You know, they're not expecting it even this year. They just want us to keep working toward it. And once she understood that, she's like, oh, okay, it's fine. Because yes, that's everything we already want to do. But if you're getting this document for the first time, so to our listeners, if you're not sure what we're talking about, we will have attached it to our show notes the Commitment to Fidelity Agreement, your program administrator signed this. So this might be something if you're like, wait, what was that again? You probably want to go back and check it because you agreed to do it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we want you to do that. All right, great. That was a really nice summary of how to support with administration. Is there anything you feel looking back that you would have done differently, whether it was with administration above you or administration alongside of you? Because I remember when I was leading the PBIS charge, my co-leaders with me definitely theoretically agreed with it and believed in it. Practically speaking, when I needed them to do stuff, they didn't always understand the why and why we were doing things that way. So how did you engage your co-leaders in your programs to help you roll this out? How did you bring them on board? Marie, I'm going to start with you this time. Well, I think you said a very important thing when you talked about this commitment to fidelity, about that it doesn't have to be now. This is process. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to the whole thing with the elephant, everything is a process. And I think that just saying that out loud, because I don't think that was ever said out loud. Right. Because that's what made it so overwhelming in the very beginning, just seeing this and then trying to look at, well, we have this in place, we have this in place, we have this in place, we have this in place. But now looking back, we didn't have all those things mm -hmm. in place. I think that on the surface, I, I'm going to speak personally for myself, I was trying to look at what I didn't really have to worry about right now. And rather than starting out at the bottom, 
and working my way up to ensure fidelity because mm. that word mm-hmm. has certainly took on a different meaning for me in this whole process. I was just trying to see what can I eliminate so that I can go to where I need to focus, which was wrong. So mm-hmm. I think in, mm-hmm. in going back, I would like someone to say to me, you know, this is a process. And, and I know that there were times when Sue Ziders would say, it's going to take about 10 years. So <laughs> I kept that in the back of my mind that uh-huh. for 10 years, we're going to stay universal <laughs> for 10 years because we're going to get it right. We're going to get it right. Um, and it's important. It's important to take that vision on that you want to do it right. And I have to say that because in the earlier years, we thought we were doing it mm-hmm. all. And only going through this process did we find out that there was a better way to do it. When I'm going into a classroom, I can tell by the atmosphere in the room if PBIS is a consistent thing or mm-hmm. if it's being done just because I'm here. Yeah. And I think that that's the difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would just kind of say slow down, embrace it, breathe it. Go to the trainings. We did, but I think that there was more trainings where I could have had more people come with me rather than it just be myself and Anne Marie. I think that I could have had the coaches who I have in place now, Mm -hmm. if they would have accompanied me on some of those earlier trainings, I think that the buy-in would have been easier. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Gia? So thinking about that, one thought is definitely, Marie, I agree that it takes a long time. And I think giving that message from the very beginning is helpful. You know, they say three to five years, definitely for implementation. And Marie, I agree with you that it's even longer than that. It's an ongoing Mm -hmm. process. You know, sometimes we say this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I Mm -hmm. often say, I don't even think it's a marathon because there's really no end point. So that knowledge that this is an ongoing process and for people to have patience with that process. The other thought that I have, having done this with other programs, is really, in retrospect, I wouldn't begin this without spending a lot of time with the administrator and making sure that this was really an approach that was important to them. I think I started it with some programs where the administrator thought it was a great idea and I think maybe framed it as another initiative that she could hand off to somebody. And I think having the administrator's ongoing active participation is really crucial. And without that, I think it would be much more challenging to get a program off the ground. And I've seen that happen, definitely. Awesome. Well, moving from administration into that next, I think Equally, but in a different way, crucial point is that leadership team portion of the program-wide PBIS process. Remembering my time as a facilitator, I was learning about the purpose of the leadership team as I was starting to pull my leadership team together. So at that point, I didn't even know how to train my leadership team on how to be a leadership team because I wasn't sure what they were supposed to be doing. So how did you engage your leadership team and roll PBIS out to them, right? Because again, the other thing I remember is when I was working with Hildebrandt for like six months at our director's meetings, we kept pushing, get your leadership team together, get your leadership team together. And then people were starting to meet and are like, now what? (laughs) We did the baseline benchmarks of quality. So now what? What do we do now? 
And so how did that work for you? Marie, I'm going to start with you again because <laughs> you're looking at me laughing. The reason why I'm laughing is the same as you. How do I get this off the ground? You know, we only started with the one center, as I said, but knowing that staff has spent the whole day with preschool children, <laughs> yes, when am it. I going to find a time for them to meet that they're going to be able to really listen and buy into this because I needed some buy-in right was what I needed because they were opposed while they wanted the magic wand they were opposed to having to go to all this training and jump through all these hoops and have someone from the outside come in and be observing them and so I thought well what can I do maybe I should just ask them so I asked for volunteers first and then I said, what would make you happy? What time of the day would you like to have the meeting? <laughs> so they did want the morning, they want the afternoon. Well, well, what can I do to make you happy? Have chocolate. So I thought, okay, if this is the way to do it, I'll have chocolate. So it started out just having a conversation in those first couple of meetings about what their struggles were and how they wanted it to be different. Mm -hmm. And while we still did not have all of the facts, about what it is that we were doing, we were meeting. <laughs> we yeah. were meeting and having a discussion. I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't until the second year when we brought everybody on board and we did it wrong then. And it's a terrible thing to say now. Looking back, I thought, this would be great. Let's just have one core leadership team meeting. We'll have separate entities. So we met at the IU in their big cafeteria. And everybody had their own table where they had their own members talking about different things that they're doing. But then we would have like a breakout session and everybody would share things. And in my mind, that was a good thing because some of the positives were being shared, what they were doing at the other centers. But then as I looked back on it at the end of the year and evaluated that, I thought this is not good because some people are taking some of these ideas back to their center. And they don't understand the real purpose of why that center was implementing those strategies. They're just doing them just to do them. So this isn't working. Right. The third year, we went into having separate ones at the centers. And I think by then, we were getting a little more information about what the makeup of the core leadership team meeting should be. I think it was the team initiated checklist. Checklist. Mm -hmm. um, or tips, I mean. Tips. Team-initiated team problem, problem solving. solving. Yeah. While it wasn't called tips back then, they were really saying, your meeting should be an hour. You should be talking about the data, which we had none. Mm. Okay. At this point, we still had no data. We really didn't know even where to begin with data. So after that third year, we start getting into then the BIRs and the data. So again, it's an evolution. Every year taking that time to evaluate. I think that that's what the recommitment mm -hmm. each year in coming back and being able to prepare yourself for that universal fidelity, making the recommitment to the process and the form that the state gave to us was, you know, what are your successes? Mm -hmm. What are your challenges? And really being able to look at and evaluate what we did and admitting to ourselves that there were some pitfalls we had <laughs> yep. and how can we make it better in looking at the new year and actually having goals was what supported us in being able to continue 
and grow along the way. And those trainings and the phone calls, I mean, every, every bit of the support that the network gave, I think that's another very important thing in coming along with this challenge is the supports are there. Take the time to get on those phone calls mm. with your peers and listen to what they're doing because every phone call, it may not have been a lot, but there was always a takeaway of what we brought them back. And we would introduce it then at the core leadership team meetings because you have to have their buy-in. They have to have an understanding that this is worth it. Right. Awesome. Yeah, how did that work for you? I love that all three of us thinking about how we first started this was really learning as we were going. And I had a, <laughs> a friend at EITA who said to me, we are building the plane in the air. And that was so reassuring that to just get that idea that this is a learning process for all of us. Um, so definitely going into it when I first began, I think that we learned a lot about how we wanted to approach it. One of the things that I think was very helpful has been having representation from every part of the center. So as much as possible mm -hmm. to really be able to have at least one person representing each part of the center. So whether that's, you know, an infant toddler teacher or whether you're in a Head Start program, the family support provider, making sure that there are folks who can speak for different groups within the program. I think that that was a really helpful thing. As Marie said, I think, and we didn't do this in the beginning, and so this is lessons learned, but having a set agenda and using a format such as the team-initiated problem-solving format for running those meetings was really helpful. So instead of just saying, yeah, let's get together and talk about PBIS, to really think about, you know, perhaps looking at the benchmarks of quality and which part of this do we want to tackle and what exactly are we going to discuss and what should we do about it and who's going to do that and by when. That having that set approach to every single core leadership meeting was really helpful as well. I've been on somewhere they started at least the first few meetings with warm-up activities which was really nice, even though it was people who knew each other, having a chance to be together and do different activities as a way of getting to know each other. And some of them were related to PBIS and some of them were completely unrelated to PBIS. But that building a team that was going to work together really closely to guide this process was really helpful as well. Awesome. So one of the things I remember, and something that I think the Pyramid Model Consortium, which is the National Center for Research of Pyramid Model Practices, has gotten really good at, is they're really good at training leadership teams on what the benchmarks of quality mm. is, what it means, and then developing that action plan. So looking back, that's something that I would have done differently. Thinking about that intentional teaching of the benchmarks of quality, I don't think had really occurred to folks yet. And I think that's something that would have helped me significantly. How has your use of the benchmarks of quality supported ongoing rollout of your leadership teams as people come and go? You've added teams, Marie. You know, people get different jobs. They have babies. They have illnesses. How have you used the benchmarks of quality 
to keep those leadership teams going and not saying, ah, we don't need that anymore. We do it enough. How have you done that? Well, I think you've made a very important point and that's, it was an existence, but were we really doing it the right way? I think when we initially did it, it was looking at it, but looking at it from the surface, Mm -hmm. not really looking at it down below to see what does this really mean. So a lot of the staff felt we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. And I remember then it was going into the second or third year and I went around as a facilitator to do benchmarks. I think it was starting the second or third year. I don't remember which year it was, but I actually attended their core leadership team meeting and completed it with them. So when they were saying, yes, we do it, then I start asking for the big E the evidence, you know, (laughs) talk to me about it, you know, tell me exactly how you're doing this. And do you think that we're doing it all the time? Because I think that we were in such a state because we weren't really trained on it in, well, we do it, Mm -hmm. but how do we do it? So our scores changed that year. Mm -hmm. And because we start then looking at how we could improve the process. And when you talk about the pyramid, I always try to let staff know what we know and how we can use what we know to get better at what we don't know. Hmm. So when we looked at the pyramid, I talked about we're involved with Keystone Stars Mm -hmm. and we do the Eckers. We were at star four and it had a lot to do with our Eckers score. So I would say to them, here we are, you know, the foundation is staff. You are the building block. If we don't have staff that feel good about themselves. That's why we're here. That's why we have these meetings. That's why we have these trainings. And then we're coming up here into the environments. We got this piece, guys. So we're here in tier two is where we really need to start focusing now mm-hmm. on making sure that we are supporting all children, right? Those that, that need extra strategies, extra one-on-ones, more small groups. But I think that as time goes on, as you become well-versed in a certain tool and that's when teapot came and we were given the training on the teapot again it's another layer and i know people that are only looking at doing this you're going to say all these things all these things you have to do you have to do but rather than looking at all of these things that you have to do if you're looking at them as part of the building blocks of quality Hmm. And part of the building blocks of sustaining the behaviors in the classroom and making staff feel successful because you're giving them the tools that they need to be successful. I think in the end, it's going to be worth it. But it's that knowledge. And I know Gia said that earlier Mm -hmm. about the knowledge. It's just that continuation of gaining more and more knowledge about everything and putting all those pieces to the puzzle together and then seeing that there's never going to be a light at the end of the tunnel I'm just going to tell you it's that's not a bad thing mm-hmm. because not in a bad way you're no. also not going to be stuck in the dark no <laughs> because the support is there and every year you have a different set of children and you have a different set of families exactly. So, yes, you can learn and apply from the previous years you can take with you, but along the way, you're going to need to change things about yourself. Mm. And 
Hmm, that's a really isn't that true about the pyramid model as a whole? It's it's always about the grown ups. Yeah. Absolutely. And how we're responding to each other as well as to the children. Mm-hmm. So Gia, what are your thoughts on that? I think that my understanding of the importance of the benchmarks of quality has definitely grown as well. Um, you know, of course it's a great tool to measure the extent to which a program has implemented the elements of PBIS, but it's a really fabulous guide. And I think, Amy, to your point of of recognizing the importance of using that to help new staff to understand what PBIS is, to help core leadership teams gain understanding of the different elements that are important. I think when teams first go over it, it can be a little overwhelming or a lot overwhelming, but I think it's also a really good tool for teaching teams all of the different components that are really essential in PBIS implementation. And then what I also love is the ability to take that information and develop an implementation plan. And through that, there is an opportunity to really think about here are the core elements of PBIS. Here are some concrete action steps that we might want to take over the next three months, six months, year. And then from there, you can begin to develop the agendas for the team as you go forward. So I find that Benchmarks of Quality has grown in its importance to me, certainly, as my understanding of PBIS has grown. Absolutely. Moving on from the leadership team to our staff, that's often where I start thinking about rollout to staff and then to children and families. But as we've already established 30 minutes into this conversation, there's so much rollout that happens even before it gets to staff. I remember it was a year or two into the process for me that I really understood the concept of a program-wide expectation and how to use that. And that seemed to be the most concrete thing staff could wrap their minds around. And that really assisted with buy-in and additional rollout. So how have you successfully engaged your staff? So you've already had your administration, you have your leadership team. Now we're rolling all this out to the staff. How did you engage them in the program-wide process? How did you use CEPHAL modules? There are two things that you just mentioned. So one is the program-wide expectations and the other are the CEPHAL modules. I think both of those are the really nice concrete things to start with. And I've found that it's really helpful to focus on each of those. So I can talk about each one a little bit. The program-wide expectations, it's been really helpful to have everybody create those. So we've generated a list of all possible expectations, and then we've had the staff and the families vote on what they think might be the most important expectations to start with so that everybody has a say in what those should be for individual programs, Um, and then developing an acknowledgement system around that. So I think I'll just keep it to that right now, and I can expand on that in a minute. The CEPHO modules, those have been crucial, and definitely I have learned a lot about rolling those out. There are a number of CEPHO modules you can use to train staff in learning about the teaching pyramid practices at each of the tiers of the pyramid. So there are, of course, three different tiers, and there are a number of modules focused on that. And when I first started, my 
big mistake. And then later my big aha moment, my big mistake was to present those modules in pretty quick succession. So initially we wanted to do trainings on everything because we knew that it was important. All of these practices were so important and they were all parts of the benchmarks of quality. So I did trainings on module one and then a few months later I came in and did trainings on module two. And then a few months later went in and did modules 3A and 3B. And in retrospect, learned that that was way, way, way too much information to present in rapid succession like that. Even to the point where I went back the next year and redid some of those modules. And when I redid module two, the coach there said, this is great information. Why haven't we ever had this before? And (laughs) we had had it before, but where everybody was in the learning process, they weren't ready for that information. So my big aha and takeaway has been that you want to go really slowly and carefully. And in new programs, I have spent the first year just doing module one and making sure that that is really being done really well. And there was even one program where we spent the first six to eight months really focusing on just the first part of module one, and that was relationships. And really delving into that, Marie talked about kind of doing things at a deeper level. That's what I've learned, that it makes sense to really come in, focus on really ensuring that people are understanding it and implementing it at a deeper level before you move on to the next step. So that has definitely been a really good learning experience for me and something that I would say that I approach very differently. So doing it slowly and also doing it again, I think makes a lot of sense. So not just presenting it once, but presenting it on multiple occasions and maybe in multiple different ways. Awesome. Awesome. Marie, what are your thoughts? Ditto to everything that Gia just said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And again, you know, we have to learn from our mistakes and be able to uh, realize that, again, it's, it's a slow down process. And I can still remember doing that second module, and it talked about teaching children friendship skills. And I had staff in the audience say, we have to teach children friendship skills. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Um, So what we have done, because one of the pitfalls that we have over the years, because of the increase in behaviors, while we're having a decline in TSS workers because of PBIS, we have also tried to hire a part-time third support person in all of our Head Start classrooms, which has proven to be very successful. But that staff is usually the turnover staff. So one of the things that Jen and I talked about over and over again is how do we bring these people on board, you know? So we started implementing a little bit of what the expectations are, a little short version of what PBIS is at our orientation. So they understand Mm -hmm. that they're going to see the bees and the beehives and what the expectations be safe, be respectful, be a team player, because We have it in the handbook, we have it in our mission statement, we have it everywhere Mm -hmm. because it's the culture of our program. But what we have started doing is really focusing on module one, because I think a lot of our staff, when they're new, they're more focused on the cognitive part of Mm -hmm. development in this high quality early learning environment. Right, right. And they're forgetting about the importance of 
relationships and social emotional development and culture. I mean, you know, just because this is the way you think you should discipline your child is not the way that everybody feels is the right way. Mm -hmm. So really being intentional about starting off on the right foot. And I think last year, Jen's been keeping track of the new people and if they've had module one training or not. And we have even had some supervisors, coaches say, I think they need it again. Mm. And they send them to the second session of the CEPL. And as with you, Gia, you know, too much information too quickly is not always the best way to go. So we have tried doing module one in one full day, the seven and a half hour day. Mm -hmm. We have tried doing it in two half days. We tried doing it in one and a half hour sessions. And I think that the last time we did it in the three and a half hour sessions, I think that that was by far the most success that we had. Mm -hmm. We had people really being engaged, being able to second night to reflect back on what they did in the first part and actually doing the inventory of practices. Using that inventory of practices with SAP as a self-assessment and then having them in between session one and session two go back to their supervisors and have a discussion about what they want to learn more about or what they want to see more of has been part of the whole buy-in of staff really taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, and really being able to then live hmm. what this training is all about and then finding things in the classroom having little uh, scavenger hunts. Jen made mm -hmm. up a scavenger hunt for orientation of our staff to go back into the classroom and find the different elements of PBIS in your own classroom and then be able to have it as a conversation starter with your new team on how do you use these things or I've seen you do this with this. So yeah, it's a slow down process. Gia, I'm right there with you, girl. <laughs> that. It's awesome. And you're already jumping ahead a little bit but in a good way to new staff. So Jen, I'm just going to give you a heads up. I'm going to ask you to talk more about that scavenger hunt when we get there. All right. And what you did and how that worked. So give you that heads up. I won't just throw it at you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we rolled it out to staff and now we have our kids and families, right? And again, it's taken us how long to get here just in conversation. I think as you keep saying, Maria, and I think this is a good message for this, it's a slow down process. And it also makes me think of our colleague and friend, Julia Slater, who is my Eastern Regional Facilitator. She will often say it is an inch wide and a mile deep, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Instead of trying to mile ahead and only an inch deep, you need to go an inch forward and a mile deep. I feel like she says it better. <laughs> Just it. Um, it's my best I can do as Julius later, but rolling out to our children and families, because again, they're coming through and we could have, depending on the design of the program, you could have literally a hundred percent different children and families each year. Now, I don't think you guys do, but you still have a whole lot of new children and families every year. And so Marie, I'd like to start with you because we have often showcased your program and brag on you guys wherever we go in the world about how 
you roll out your program-wide expectations to children and families at the beginning of the year. Could you start there with just a practical explanation of how that goes and then talk a little bit about how you got to that point? Well, I think, first of all, coming from Head Start, because we are primarily a Head Start program, Mm -hmm. and we have uh, PA pre-K counts as well as some uh, subsidized childcare, but coming from Head Start, family engagement is intrinsic to everything that we do. So getting parents involved from the get-go on a home visit, on that initial home visit, um, and being able to talk about PBIS mm-hmm. and let them know what it is. And again, you know, CEPL, um, the Center of Socially Emotional Foundations of Early Learning, uh, that website is a wealth of information in terms of a lot of uh, downloads um, of scripted stories of different um, strategies and uh, things that you can use in your classroom, solutions cards. There's a wealth of information there, but we uh, got the idea of using scripted stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So we tailor-made one to each of our expectations. And, And again, throughout the year, we learned with the slowdown process, we have to give staff as much information as they possibly can in terms of what our expectations are in the rollout every year of PBIS. So we actually develop a calendar of when to introduce each expectation and how long and how to reinforce it before the second one, before the third one, so that by the end of October, it's the full gamut of all three expectations along with the individual rules that are associated within that particular classroom. So we start off at the initial home visit giving the parent the Be Safe book because that's Mm kind of like the easiest one to do. So it's just practical little things which we then coordinate into the rules of the classroom. And then we're encouraging families to have these same rules at home. Through this whole process, what we have found, because in September, when we have our back-to-school night, we do a scavenger hunt with the families there. Uh, They get to see all the different elements of the PBIS in the classroom that we use. Well, their children, actually, Mm -hmm. get to show them Tucker Turtle, Busy Bee, the beehives, so that there's a true understanding that the child understands it enough that they can relate this to the family. But what we found is that one of the big missing links in why our children are sometimes acting out the way that they are is because they they were not taught. Right. And that one slide in module one, if children cannot drive, what do we do? We teach. If they cannot multiply, we teach. But what if they're misbehaving? You know, that's always, Mm -hmm. we forget about teaching. And I think it's a whole new way. So it's not only teaching staff to teach, but teaching parents how to teach. So there's different activities then that our staff have done throughout the year associating it with PBIS, Mm -hmm. like Thanksgiving. And instead of talking about turkeys, uh, we're talking about making a family turkey, but put on there how your child Mm -hmm. is respectful or how your child is safe. When there's a long break, staff is actually giving them some little B notes of things to do at home over the holiday to keep your child safe and respectful and and a team player. We have what's called weekly happenings. Weekly happenings actually are telling the parent 
what our big idea for the week is, what kind of skills your child is learning, what you can do with your child at home to help to incorporate these skills. But then we have our little B notes on the weekly happening about a favorite story or about a new rule that we introduced in the classroom. Could you help us by reminding your child to push their chair in at home to be safe? So again, it's a continuum, mm-hmm. but it's consistent because it can't be in pockets. Right. What we also learned early on was when the grant money was there and they wanted us to be buying all these prizes and gifts, we're teaching behavior. We are teaching life skills. Children are not going to be rewarded prizes for doing the right thing when they get older. And parents are not going to be awarded prizes when their child goes into elementary school to go to a conference. (laughs) You know, let's get real. Right, right. (laughs) So the bees are just little tokens, but they're there for parents to see it makes a difference. The children are elated because they fill their beehive by the end of the day. But they're there for the staff, too, to see. Am I more concerned about safety in my classroom Mm. or my bees that are red are respectful? I don't see many red bees up on that beehive. Mm. Or my blue bees are team player bees. I'm not seeing a lot of those. I need, again, it's about changing our staff's thought processes. The key is it's a consistent flow of information back and forth with regards to those three expectations so that it's something we're living, we're breathing day in and day out. I often say to parents, wouldn't it be a wonderful world if everybody could be safe, be respectful and Mm -hmm. be a team player. Mm -hmm. And we don't have 100% buy-in from families, but the ones that we have, they become the members of our core leadership team And then we do positive solutions for families, Mm -hmm. which echoes everything we're doing with PBIS. They encourage parents to attend those sessions and the takeaways and the positives, even if it is from five families. We're touching five families twice a year in every center. So we Mm -hmm. have eight centers. So Mm -hmm. five times eight is 40 families. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of celebration. Yeah. So we have to celebrate the small steps. We can't get discouraged. We have to celebrate every step that we make. Absolutely. And you definitely are. So I want you to know I've been making a list of the cool things I might be asking for examples to add to show notes. So I'm just giving you that because there are so many. (laughs) All right, Gia, how about you? Yeah, so Marie, I love what you said about engagement of families is just intrinsic to your center. And I think that's so important. And I know I have heard you talk at the Implementers Forum about the things that you do to engage families and roll out PBIS. And I think it's been so impactful. I'm really grateful that you've been doing that. I think when we first started, so the very first center, Jolly Toddlers, we really weren't sure how to engage families in the process. And I think we were feeling like we needed to get this PBIS stuff down pat before we could involve families. And in retrospect, we wish that we had involved families from the very, very beginning. That having a family member on the core leadership team, we have since learned, is really helpful and 
powerful and really helps everybody make sure that family engagement is a part of this from the very beginning. The journey now, thinking about Jolly Toddlers, family engagement is now intrinsic. It's woven into the fabric. PBIS is so woven into the fabric of their center that they involve families in every step of the way from before the children are even enrolled. When I've seen them take parents on tours of the center who are considering the center for enrolling their child for childcare and talking about PBIS and the elements of PBIS is a part of that. In the enrollment packet, it's a part of that, talking about PBIS. It's become really intrinsic to everything that they do. And in new centers, as I've rolled it out, I've been very conscious and intentional about making sure that that family piece is set up from the very beginning, that it's not something that we revisit after the fact, that it's a part of the rollout of PBIS. And in one center, we've also done workshops with families about PBIS and um, Marie talking about the program-wide expectations and figuring out what that might look like at home. We recently did a workshop with some families and we were talking about the student acknowledgement system, which we send home instead of Bs, we have stars that we fill out when we catch a child following one of the expectations and we fill out what the child did. And we were telling the parents, you know, oh, you might see these being sent home. We're not sure if you've seen them before. And this one father stood up and he pulled out of his shirt pocket three stars that had been sent home for his son. And he carries them with him every single day. So you just think about the powerful impact that that has mm -hmm. on that little guy who, you know, he gets acknowledged for that in school and it gets celebrated and it's seen as being really important. And now he brings these acknowledgements home and his dad is celebrating it to the point that he's even, you know, showing it to his coworkers. How big is that and how impactful is that? I just thought that was fabulous. Oh my goodness. Yes. I'm feeling a little teary. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what it's about. Exactly. Right? That's, yeah. That's amazing. And I love that we've been talking about this and the focus has, and I think Amy, you, you mentioned this in the very beginning, but the focus has been completely on the adults for the most part, right? We've been talking about mm -hmm. the administrators and the team and the staff and the parents and the families. I love that there's this consistent message that PBIS is as much about the adults as it is about the children. And sometimes I would say probably even a little bit more about the adults. Yeah. I think the children are our hook, mm -hmm. but the grownups are what makes it work. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Wow. Okay. I hate to move on from that. I feel like we should just sit <laughs> in the presence of that power. I just think that's exciting. Continuing with our theme with our adults, and this is our last section that we're going to talk about. And we did touch on it a little bit when we talked about rolling out to staff. I just want to touch on it one more time. How have you successfully engaged new staff? And like I said, Jen, I'm going to come back to you and ask how you do that scavenger hunt. How you engage substitutes, classroom volunteers. How do you build bridges with TSS? early intervention itinerants coming to be a full member of your program, my process, right? Because it's one thing when it's your staff that you're paying and they have to do it as part of their job. It's another thing when you have guests in your program 
that are supporting your kids, I say, quote unquote, for free. How are we engaging them in that process? And Marie, I'm going to let you start. And then Jen, I'm going to ask you to share about your scavenger hunt process. Well, what we have done, we actually hired our own mental health consultant mm-hmm. and a behavior specialist. And again, it was Marianne, our mm-hmm. executive director's idea in terms of supporting staff more. Empowering, as Beverly says, our mental mm-hmm. health consultant. We need to empower you. Mm-hmm. So not only is she there to support the staff and the families, because the, she just has such a way of talking to the families that they'll do anything she asks them to do. But we have mental health roundtables, which staff then get to pick the topics of things that are hot in their minds. Quarterly, we have them now. We were having them every month, but then it was getting to be too much. So now they're quarterly, but they get to pick the topic. She knows ahead of time what it is so she can be prepared. But the other nice thing that Beverly and Mary Louise, who is our behavior specialist, Mm -hmm. they become the contact person with the outside agencies. They not only are the experts in being able to support the families in getting the services for their children, but then they will go to those agencies and they will talk about PBIS. They were so interested. And I sat with the two of them the first year and we went through the teapot. And they were just so intrigued with all of that jargon in the teapot that they actually blend all of that into strategies, into their entire conversation that they're having with the outside agencies. So there's expectations Mm -hmm. for TSS workers coming into us. The IU, we have an agreement with them to do our speech and developmental and occupational therapy. So they actually have become a fabric of PBIS. They are aware, and again, with the BEAM Mm program-wide, the nice thing about an agency like the IU coming in is from center to center and classroom to classroom, they're going to see the same things because everybody is, while the rules may be different to meet the behaviors, the expectations are the same. Mm -hmm. They're going to see the same daily charts. They're going to see the, the daily schedules. Mm-hmm. They're going to see the the solutions cards being used. They're going to see the bees. They're going to see Tucker Turtle. They're going to see the private quiet areas. It's consistent so they don't have to learn something new from center to center. Right. So that, again, becomes a nice way to make sure that everybody's on the same page with us. But it has a lot to do with having the right people in the right place, sending the same message. That has been how we got to tier two, we have the core leadership teams Mm -hmm. at the center. Then we have a leadership team, which is the site supervisor coaches from each facility. They come here and then management is here. So then I'm here, Marianne is here. Both the mental health consultant and the behavior specialist are here on the leadership team. So then we're looking at the program data. Right. Okay. And then aside from that, we have our mental health team meetings, which is the mental health consultant, the behavior specialist, myself, and then our program nurse. Because what we have found is a lot of times children with behavior problems not only have IEPs, but they also may have asthma, so they may be on some medication. (laughs) So we want to make sure we have all those components for that child being looked at at the same time for possible impacts on that child's behavior. The mental health consultant has also been very 
helpful in the whole trauma point of really being able to support our staff and understanding where our children are coming from in terms of what kind of trauma may have impacted them. She has worked with our family advocates who go out and do the initial intakes with the families. Mm -hmm. She has trained them on what red flags to look for. And she and Mary Louise go out and actually meet with the families and observe the child prior to even being enrolled so that we can have supports coming into the program with them. So all of these things have just resulted Again, from what we've learned right, right. along our journey and the changes that we have made to be at this point now, it just keeps getting better. Again, it's just, you know, putting on a different set of glasses and being able to look deeper into what can we be doing to support families, to be supporting staff, and to be supporting children. Because in the end, the child, we want them to be successful. But along the way, we have to make sure that the family is feeling some kind of success so that they can appropriately engage with their child to support them and that our staff is being given all of the support and the reinforcements that they need to be successful. I love it. I kind of sitting here having chills because I feel like that's a whole mm -hmm. new level of how you've engaged your mental health consultant and your nurse and have embedded it in such a way that I actually, I'm kind of feeling a little speechless. I can't even put that all together. Okay, so Jen Nepshield, it sounds like you're tracking new staff when they're receiving Module 1 and that also you are giving them some other strategies to do to help them with their orientation specific to PBIS. So share a little bit more about that. Well, it's definitely a process. Yep. And we started with doing the Better Kid Care series for new staff orientation, but we didn't have them sit in front of the computer and do it. We incorporated our policies and procedures in with it. They still had to do the work. It was a process, but what we were finding out is new staff, they were afraid of PBIS. They were afraid they were going to say something wrong. Mm -hmm. That whole recharge your words. Yeah. Well, we've changed that. We spend more time on that and practicing and coming up with things and saying, hey, you're, you're going to mess up. Right. You know? <laughs> but the important thing is to learn from that, you know, right. and rely on your team to say, oops, let's yeah. try it a different way. And, and that's how they're going to learn. So it started off as a safety checklist to go around the center so mm -hmm. they knew where smoke alarms were and binders and policies and first aid kits. And then we kind of stole it from the family scavenger hunt because that was the feedback coming mm -hmm. to us that they weren't sure. You know, the quiet area, the solution cards, the behavior chart, even the beehives. When we had that conversation of the beehives are for you to see how many blue bees, red bees, yellow bees you handed out versus, right. I mean, it's a benefit for the children, but it was also for the staff. We start off with the orientation. They get the introduction, a basic introduction mm -hmm. to PBIS to practice it, which we find that's working because to give them all of PBIS before they're even in the classroom, it was just overwhelming. Right. So like Marie said earlier, the two, three and a half hour sessions, I think we found it. <laughs> that works best. You, know, you have your introduction to it, you're practicing it, now you're getting the whole purpose of it, you know, how it all falls into place. You're going back, you're practicing it some more in between trainings and then feeling more confident using it. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. All right, Ms. Gia. The newest program that I've done this with, we actually started recording in little mini webinars the information so far from Module 1. 
So people have access to that on an ongoing basis, which has been really helpful as new people float in and out. Mm -hmm. For working with different partners, so community staff that comes in, whether that's therapists or, you know, from the IU or TSS workers, I think one of the really lovely and unexpected byproducts of PBIS has been that programs feel much more comfortable in talking about children's behavior and much more empowered to be a part of the team. And it's not mm -hmm. something that we intentionally set out to do, but I've found that programs who are implementing it feel really comfortable and have a very good awareness of their importance in playing a role in intervening with a child. So they partner with those specialists who come in in a way that they never did before, which is lovely because we all know it takes a village and that cross systems approach to helping children who need additional assistance, that that has been really wonderful. And one of the programs, Jolly Toddlers, have an acknowledgement system for the children, similar to the bees that Marie has been talking about. And then they developed an acknowledgement system for the staff. And then eventually they realized that it was really important to have an acknowledgement system for their partners as well. So even the folks who walk into their center who are not there every day, they are also acknowledged for following those program-wide expectations, sharing or being kind, being responsible, being respectful. They are also acknowledged for that. So there's a very clear message that this is really important to us. And what I found is that the folks who work there love it. The ones who go in and out on a temporary basis and it's been a really nice partnership and has really strengthened their ability to work with their community partners. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this was such a great conversation, ladies. So thank you so much for all your time and energy you put into this. I think this was a great beginning venture for podcasts for the PAPBS Network. For those listening, we hope to have more of these in the future. So we would love your feedback. Please take these ideas. A couple thoughts that I wanted to leave you with. One of the things that came up as we were talking, it made mm -hmm. me think of Maya Angelou when she said, when we know better, we do better. And so this is a journey. It's okay to go slow. As you look back at some of those documents, like the commitment to fidelity, the benchmarks of quality, take time to make sure you understand what the expectations are. And remember, it's okay if you're not there yet identify what you need, and make some plans to get there. But overall, please join us again in the future. We would love ideas and suggestions of other conversations to have. And we have lots of great experienced folks throughout Pennsylvania that would love to share their ideas with each other. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great rest of your day.